Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who has done countless spit takes on camera, but only one in real life, caused by Charles Nelson Riley. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! 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 Tim Stack is back. It's been two weeks, and I I know what you people have gone through without me. It's just, ah, I feel so bad for you. Uh, Anyway, welcome to another edition of It's Radio with TV's Tim Sack. I have an old friend guest today that I'm very excited to have for a whole lot of reasons, not just to promote all of his stuff, but uh, we go way back and there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to talk about. But I want to tell this Charles Nelson Riley story. Uh, I think my guest might get a kick out of because he might know some of the people involved in it. So, I've talked before. I was very good friends with Dom DeLuise and Carol DeLuise from the movie Best Little Warehouse in Texas. And I got invited, my wife, Jana, and I got invited to their wedding. And the wedding was like on one side of the room, it was all 21 Jump Street guy, like Johnny Depp. And because Peter DeLuise was an actor on 21 Jump Street. My guest might have run into Peter DeLuise. Corn, have you run into Peter DeLuise over the years? Up I, I worked with him on Stargate. That's what uh, I figured. As a director, numerous times. That's what Many I figured. Times. Okay, we'll get to that. So, <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. So, I'm at the wedding, and one side's 21 Jump Street, and at our table, it's like Charles Nelson Riley, his husband Fernando Lamas, uh, Ricardo Montalbaum, all these old like showbiz people that I grew up watching on television, and I'm just thrilled. But Charles Nelson Riley was particularly funny. So all of a sudden they announce, uh, hey, everybody, like, I can't remember their names, like Schmankman and Noodleman have a song. And these two old guys who hadn't really written anything since like 1952 get up on stage and they do this song they've written for Peter, Peter and his then wife, they've since split up, Gina. So the music starts and it's just like dun 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 dun. Ah, his name was Peter. Her name was Gina. She's sweeter. He's Kino. Oh, Peter and Gina. And then there's a second verse. Hey, they met in high school. He was no fool. And then there's a third verse. And they went on. And then there's a bridge. And they went whoa whoa. And then there's a fourth verse and a fifth verse. And finally, they finish the song. And by the end, you know. Plates are being eaten on, but they he, they get a nice round of applause, and the guys are so thrilled. They're so excited that they think Peter and Gene is going to be the next big hit, and they run by the table. I happen to be sipping some champagne, and Charles Nelson Riley says in his voice, Say, fellas, love the song. There's talk of an album. And I, of course, then spit my champagne. <laughs> All over the table. <laughs> Say, fellas, love the song. <laughs> There's talk of an album. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Charles Nelson Riley fan. Um, okay, let's get to my guest. Let's cue the music for my guest. Joe, let me see my new jeans. I have a date tonight. Sorry, you lose part. <laughs> Are you sure you haven't seen my jeans, Shelly? 
Your Depeche Mode tickets were in the pocket. Whoa! Uh, my guest, Corin Nemec, Emmy Award-nominated actor from my no- I Know My Name is Steven, the star of the still very appreciated show, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, later a series regular on Stargate. I'm only getting into like half the credits here. Author of the book Venice High, I want to talk about that. Star of the movie Half Dead Fred and a lot more, plus the only child who has ever made me money. Corin Nemec! Yay! Let me, clear my, let me clear myself out here so I can talk. Yay! How's everybody? Woo! Nice Woo! to see you, sir. You look great. You really back then. I sort of had some hair during Parker Lewis, but they used to color it in to me. No, you didn't. Look like I you had, had a more. Over. Yeah. You had more that, hair on the floor of the uh, of the makeup trailer than you had on your head. You know. That would have been actually really good for that character is to have a good comb over. Just, just it just rose up above the scalp just enough. It, you could kind of see it, it would have. It. Yeah, especially when the wind blows, you get that you get that gold wing. Yeah, happening. Yeah, they did that in Kingpin. That was Bill Murray. the The hair goes up straight up in the air. It's one of my favorite funny bits. Uh, how are you, sir? Good, very yeah, good. How you about are, yourself? I'm pretty good, yeah. Yeah, getting through it. The writer's strike. I don't know. The actors are about to go out. We'll see what happens oh, there. Yes. It's, it's either the uh, end of it all or... I'm going to let my dog in before he chews the door up. Okay. Come on, uh, Get a what life. a cute doggy. Get a life. What is that, a corgi? Yes, it's a corgi. They're so needy, these things. They're so needy. And they love that Florida weather. Coming from oh. Scotland. <laughs> Dude, he's not a fan. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, he likes that air conditioning. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, Tim and I have have had some fantastic time and memories on Parker Lewis. That's for sure. That was a, a show for the ages. And uh, and I have to say, I mean, you know, uh, obviously Tim didn't didn't have to work as long of hours as I had. No, to I work, did not. But he knows how much hard work went into you know making that show what it was, and that was almost its downfall because we it was costing us uh, as much or a little bit more than it, it was costing to make nine hundred two one zero. So they're looking at you know nine hundred two one zero with like uh, twice the cast and an hour long show, and they're like. Parker Lewis, half the cast, half hour show, cost just as much. They couldn't, they, they, yeah, they, right. they, they couldn't quantify the math on that one. I don't think. No, I think you're right. And, and you know, the funny thing, usually studios that own the show, the show was on Fox, but studios that own the show, which I think was Columbia back then, before Sony bought it, wasn't it Columbia? Uh, I think it was already. It, it might have already been Sony then. Okay, but th- uh, they were happy th- to get th- rid of the show because. It was costing them too much money, but but do you remember? Uh, do, do you remember uh, One-Eyed Dutch, our uh, our 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 glass-eyed uh, craft service ma- guy on the show first season? No, I don't remember him. You don't remember him? Well, he was. We had this. Uh, I can't believe you don't remember this guy. We had this guy named Dutch who had this glass eye. Nothing against people with glass eyes. It's totally fine. I understand. So, and he was our craft service guy, and he was traditionally he was a, a, a relatively dirty fellow. And uh, and well, it he made food very for people. Apprehensive about eating at the craft service table, and one day I went over there, and he was cutting some tomatoes in the morning for the bagels and and locks and all the stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, as he's cutting the the bagels, 
I look over and he's got, you know, the the, the eye pus coming out of his uh, nice. glass eye. That goes well on the and bagel. And so very blindly, I go, I go uh, you know, Dutch, uh, your eye's dripping. And he go, he puts the knife down. He goes, oh. And he goes like this, rubs it into his hands, and goes back to slicing yeah. the tomatoes. I swear to God. So I I, uh, I, I complained to the uh, to uh, the producers, you know, to Clyde and Lon and, and, and Robert and everything. And I told them the story. And they were aghast. And so the, he ended up being fired. Really? Uh, but the thing is, is he worked for the studio. So they ended up uh, placing him in another department somewhere else in the studio. But I think he knew that I got him fired every now and then. He would like ride by our our, our studio on the lot. And he'd, he'd look over from his bike and like, give me the old glass eye. <laughs> like, <"Arr, arr." laughs> Hey, uh, it was terrifying. Let's go back to that. Just before, first of all, Parker Lewis, you can watch Parker Lewis on Crackle. Corn and I make about eight cents a year from the reruns of Parker Lewis on Crackle, but you can watch it. And it really is a fantastic show. And I'm going to tell you why. Part of it is Corn is a huge, it was just so appealing and his character was so appealing. But, and you were just talking about the expense. But the show was really about the directing. Would you agree with me about that? that yes, this- it was. It was a show where you know the, the when I was first meeting with with uh, Clyde and and Lon and Robert and all of them, and and they were uh, telling me what the show was going to be because my my main concern when I when I first got in, involved with the show, their interest in me playing the character stemmed from a, a TV special I did a number of years before for CBS called What's Alan Watching? Yes, was that Eddie was, Murphy yes, Eddie Murphy Tommy Productions. Shlamy, yes. Tommy Shlamy directing and uh, and uh, uh, Fran Drescher was in it, Barbara Berry, Peter Michael Getz, uh, just a, you know, a huge, great cast and I had a similar character in it. And so, but I was very concerned that it was going to be a half hour sitcom because I had done the last season of Webster when I was a kid uh, playing Nikki Papadopoulos, Webster's living cousin. And it was a misery, an absolute misery. And I couldn't stand the writing style of sitcom, the line, line joke, the rhythm of it and all right, of that. I found right. it very difficult to make it organic for me as an actor to hit those, you know, those punchlines, you know. And then I didn't realize until later that it doesn't really matter because they're going to drop canned laughter in there anyway. So it doesn't matter if it's not funny or not. People are going to think, oh, <laughs> I heard laughter. It must have been funny. I missed it. Yeah, that, but, uh, that tells you it's funny. <laughs> But that said, they, they told me that they, that they were going to do the style of uh, Three O'Clock High, that movie with yeah, Casey sure. Shamasco. And, uh, and I was a huge fan of the cinematic style of that of that movie. So when they told me that that was the approach they were going to do, it was going to be like a half hour of Three O'Clock High meets, you know, uh, um, uh, Ferris Bueller kind of thing, you know. And I was like, I'm in. I'm 100 percent in. And uh uh, and that's and that's when the, the you know the the camera became a character in our story. Yes. The, 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 and the directing was so so essential. And we didn't have it, it put a lot of pressure on the actors because there was zero time to 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 mess your lines up or to not be on time or to not be ready or to not be on point or to not have your energy up or to not. I mean, it, it was just go 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 because yes. because the. The, uh, the the time it took to set up these cameras, just, and we were using a lot of equipment that hadn't been yes. really tested too much before. We were using the hot heads that they used on 
uh, three o'clock high and some of that. But they, but there was some equipment that had they, that they were testing out for the first time ever on our show. There was a shot. So, I don't know if you remember. It was an episode where uh, Mary Ellen, who played my wife, uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, uh, rest in peace. Nola, uh, Nola with us. Uh, but it was a forced perspective shot where the camera zooms out, but the lens zooms in. And it's a really weird, crazy shot. And it had never been tried on television. And I said to the DP, like, this is going to be critical. He goes, yeah, I think Spielberg did it once and that's it. Nobody's done this shot. And it works. Yeah, yeah, but where, the where point you, is. zoom out and push in at the same time. At, uh, at the time. Uh, it, it was used. I, I can't remember which, which classic director used it. I don't know if maybe it was in Psycho or something. Or there was, there, there was some movie where it was used uh, really well in uh, for, for one of those moments of terrifying. Like, ah, you know, that's, that's how I recall it. But, but you're absolutely but, right. Uh, because from the unless, except with you, with your character and your relationships, because you were in so much. And, and I'm trust me, I'm not knocking this. I love that job. That job got me to Santa Barbara. That job is fantastic. But you're absolutely right, because the actors, it would take so long to set up the shot. The actors had to deliver quickly because there was no time because it was always rushing to somehow finish production that always went over that got expensive. And that's one of the reasons. Always why. went over. Yes. Oh, we went into on average by the time by Thursday or Friday, we were into 16 hours, 18 hours. I know we did at least one 20 hour day. Uh, on season one or two. Yeah. And that was just, I mean, I, I remember I showed up, I showed up for work and it was daylight, Yeah, you know, and then it was night and I left for work and the sun was coming up and I was like, oh my Lord, this did, just, I shouldn't even be driving right did now. You, this is terribly unsafe. <laughs> did you start that show emancipated as a child actor? No, 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 no. I, I was already 18. Oh, I, I okay. Turned okay. 18. Uh, I did the pilot two weeks after I graduated high school. Uh, so, and then, and then it got picked up for a series, I think, uh, three months later or something like that. Right. But, um, it, but it was, uh, uh, I was already 18. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and, and so did you have to audition for it or they just offered you the part? No, that's just, you know, fortunately for me, because of what's Alan watching, you know, uh, if I remember all of this correctly, it's been so long since I've really thought about it. Uh, Clyde, Clyde was over at CBS as a, as a, he was a showrunner and creator of Houston Nights for them. Oh yeah. If, I I, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And at that time we were doing uh, what's Alan watching over there. And he was a huge fan of what was happening with that show and really curious about it. Uh, from my re recollection of the story. Yeah. So if I'm wrong, he'll, he'll correct me down the road if you ever get him on. But, um, but, and then they, he had been asked by CBS to come up with a teen comedy, uh, you know, something that would appeal to young, you know, younger generation, this, that, and he, and he, and he came up with this Parker Lewis show along with, uh, with Lon Diamond, who, who I guess he brought on to help create that with him. Right. And, uh, and CBS ended up not picking it up. Uh, and they also didn't pick up What's Alan Watching as a series, which is what it was supposed to be. It ended up just being released as a special. But um, 
but I, I, I don't, I can't recall exactly if, if it was after the, sh- the, the show that Clyde had left, had left CBS with that, that what's Alan watching came out or before or whatever, but he had seen that show and he thought I'd be right for the character and CBS didn't pick it up and they, and they re the rights reverted back to them. Right. And they ended up Selling taking it, to it over to Fox a number of years later after Ferris Bueller came out, which made those type of shows, I guess, a hot commodity. Yeah. Uh, at that time and and then they were able to sell it so um it was actually from my from from my understanding it was created and developed before ferris bueller ever came out as a movie so uh, any any comparisons uh to it are purely superficial um we're gonna on that note we're gonna take our first break but i got a lot to promote here about you because you can find corn on twitter and i'm corn nemic uh he's got a show on youtube that's really interesting that i want to talk about if we have time the Love America Tour, which was like your kind of really offbeat travel show. Is that a good way to put it? Well, it was supposed to be an offbeat travel show, and it ended up being a, a, a desperate fight for our lives just to get the interviews. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny how that works. Um, there's a movie called Half Dead Fred that I really like that's on Tubi, or you can rent it on Apple and Amazon. And what you were just mentioning, you got all these other... And there's Dead a, Man's, well, Dead Man's Hand is out right now as well, uh, and it's 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 on VOD across different platforms. That's was I, I co-wrote it with Brian Skiba, the director, who's a good friend of mine. We've done a number of films together over the years, and it's starring Stephen Dorff, Cole Hauser, Jack Kilmer, who's Val Kilmer's oh son, gosh, does a great job right. headlining it. And uh, um, you know, I'm I'm very excited about it. It's a great classic western. It's based on a graphic novel that was published by Source Point Press called No Rest for the Wicked by the Minor Brothers. And it's and it really it it does, uh, you know, it doesn't. Uh, Brian did a great job not over directing it because it's hold, based hold, on a graphic novel. Hold on. We, know, I so want to talk this on the B side. Let's let's yeah, just okay, take a yeah, break. No yeah, yeah, we'll take a break. We'll come right back. Thing. I'm talking to Corin Nemec. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freevee, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. This is the soundtrack to the show Stargate which sounds a lot like a John Williams score, but it's not, but it's really good. Uh, I want to talk about the Stargate thing, but let's go back. This Western, it sounds great. I really want to see it. It's called it's called Dead Man's Hand. Dead Man's Hand. And it's, God, what a cast. Stephen Dorff. I just saw him in a trailer with a for a Travolta movie that also looks really good. Kind of a modern day western that looks yeah, and the and the and the rest of the cast too is great. I mean, William McNamara, Randall Badenkoff, yeah, uh, James Logan. Uh, I mean, the the the, the cast that uh, that Brian pulled together from all his 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 years of uh, uh, you know of, of working in the industry with with some great talent and maintaining friendships. Really, uh, you know, and everybody's belief in him as a director and wanting him to see him succeed and do bigger and better films. Uh, you know, everybody was willing to come together on this and take a lot of shorts to see it, to see it through. And you co-wrote this movie. And yeah, yes, I, yeah, I wrote, I wrote the original script and then he did the director's, uh, you know, the the director's pass on it and all of that. And, and, uh, and I think it, I think for Westerns, especially that I've seen lately, 
you know, this just harkens back to the classic love it. Uh, raw, you know, kind of spaghetti Western feel where where the, the storyline isn't isn't overly complicated, but it has a great heart. There's yes. love, there's revenge, there's romance, there's action, there's adventure, there's mystery. There's, you know, it's got a little bit of everything to it. And uh, and, and it has a really good heart. There's actually a really great message to it with the Native American Indian uh, and, and, and the movement to, you know, to kind of draw a little bit more light on, you know, on, on, on what their uh, kind of spiritual essence was all about. You know, we, we at least had got to dabble on that a little bit, too. Can't wait. Going to watch it tonight. Let me let me ask you this. Um, because, I don't want to ask you. I want to compliment you because because I raised you No, because. <laughs> Because you are a very creative, like you've done a lot of things. And I think that's, I know that can be your, trust me, I know because I do a lot of things. It adds to your rejection level, your number, but at the same yeah. time, it keeps you, is that the Corgi? He's, He's looking he for the queen. He's chewing on me. <laughs> very cute. But, but I have to say, you... You could have let, after Parker Lewis and Stargate, I mean, you can ride that ship of being an actor. You're, you've got enough name, but you do all these other things that are highly creative. You wrote a book. You wrote just wrote a movie that I'm just learning about. It's really a compliment to you. It's really, uh, you know, good for you. Good for you to do that. Because there's a lot Thanks, of stuff. You could, you know, you're in Florida. You could lay on the beach and wait for the phone to ring, but you don't. And that's really, really good. It's, um, so let me ask you something about Stargate. When yes. you, you, like the people that I know who have gone into the, I'm putting it in quotes, the sci-fi world, they kind of like have a job for life. Like there are shows in Germany that you can go to because it's sci-fi. Am I right in saying that? Like, you, there's a living yes, to be made absolutely. for life once you enter the sci-fi world. Not so much with mm -hmm. the private eye world or the little bit with the comedy world, but with sci-fi, 100%. Yeah, so, well, sci-fi and fantasy, right. uh, those two collide uh, in, in, the fa in, in the world of the fandom. And uh, I, think that, I think the reason behind that is also kind of stems from the the comic book world as well and uh you know the, the, this I, I, it is it is a phenomenon that is strange i wasn't aware that any of that even existed before i got onto stargate right uh i didn't know anything about the convention circuit or anything about uh that that whole world and yes i it's it, I, I mean i've traveled to more countries uh, than I ever probably would have imagined going to even just just doing act because acting took me all around the world. But doing these conventions, it's been insane. I'm, I've gone to some of the coolest places ever uh, in some really small towns and unique boutique conventions that are like in old, old medieval castles right. or you know, uh, they have like boat cruise ones and I haven't done those kind of like boats, but uh, but it's a it, it is it is a an incredible um, after effect of being a part of one of those shows. Now I love I love you put up you know I'm not on Instagram but I am on Twitter and you uh, you know you put up pictures. It's just like yeah you're in Madrid one week and you're in Hamburg and it's it's really fun watching that. <laughs> Let me ask you this: when you go to these signings, what do what are you asked most to sign? Is it Stargate? Is it Parker Lewis? 
depends on the country. It's well, it's either the the two main ones are Supernatural and Stargate. I I, I did a reoccurring character on the, the series Supernatural, which is a fantasy type show about uh-huh. werewolves and all that jazz, and and uh, playing one of the the cousins of the Winchester brothers. Which because I was a re- I was blood related to them, it, it makes that character very you know uh, more special than some of the other recurring characters i gotcha. guess but uh so those two are big ones and then parker lewis over in europe is you know is it, it's been a huge hit for ages right. and uh they they ran it a lot more uh we get the same amount of residuals though from uh european uh distribution as well about eight to 24 cents uh, per four per, per six years of of circulation. Yes, <laughs> it's like the rest of the world is in 1938, and and somehow that's what the money is based on. Like these riches, I'm thrilled. A check comes in from Parker Lewis. I can't. I think I did 40 some episodes or something, and it's like I'm thrilled, and I and I have wonderful memories. But it's like the money is. I don't know what crackle. I don't know who. I always said it's like it's people well, who smoke crack. I, right? There is a curiosity. I, I, potentially, this is what maybe this uh, some of this strike is about because I, you know, from from my I, I don't I don't know much about it, but it certainly does seem like uh, we would be owed a lot more for it running on crackle than we've received because uh if it were to it's this is this would be its only second run of distribution in the u.s it only ran on usa network right uh they ran all three seasons back to back one time only and it's been shelved in the u.s ever since until it came out on crackle so it's uh that's the worst name if it was just coming out on a major network we'd be seeing huge residuals from it we so need, it is very peculiar. We need to be on the meth network. <laughs> we need to get off crackle and get on meth. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'll tell you this: the secret there is is that Sony owns Crackle, so they sell the show to themselves for literally a penny. Oh. Uh. And yeah, that's I see what you're because, saying. Because and they'll say they'll say nobody else is bidding for you know. And there have been lawsuits for big shows like the X Files and uh, you know people where there's a lot of money at stake, and the studio will sell to themselves and they'll say like, "Yeah, we didn't get a bidding situation." And there have been lawsuits right. where people have uh, made some money. I know the X Files comes to mind, but some other shows too. Where uh, anyway. That's not a bad <laughs> position to be in. So um, no. I'm, t- I'm talking, we're going about to take our second break. I just want to get all this stuff right. So Love America Tours on YouTube. The book Venice High, I want to talk about that quickly on the B-side. That's available yes. on Amazon. Don't talk about that. Hold that for the other side. Half Dead Fred is a very funny comic zombie it's very funny it's just good it's on free on tubi you can rent that on apple and amazon but his new movie which is called dead man's hands a western dead man's hand. like a classic western where did you shoot that uh new mexico yeah i guess everything's uh done there um <laughs> and it, which you also co-wrote so people should watch that movie and uh you know Reach out to him on Twitter and tell him how great it was, and tell your friends. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to hear some feedback. I, I, I was, I was, I was very happy with how it turned out. Very happy. I, I'm always up for what. Like two of my favorite movies are Shane and High Noon. Like I just uh, give me a good western, and 
I'm so, so happy. Partly because I grew up, you know, when those shows were on TV. Uh, okay, we're going to take oh, a break. Yeah, that's true. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack and my guest, Corin Nemec. We'll be right back. What's happening? This is Corin Nimick, and I have several projects out right now. One is called Dead Man's Hand. It's a Western, and you can uh, get it on VOD. I have another coming out soon with Harvey Keitel and Ron Perlman called Joe Baby. And finally, I have one called Place of Bones later this year with Heather Graham and Tom Hopper. So I want you to tune into those. But you may know me from Stargate or Parker Lewis Can't Lose. This is Corin Nimick, and you are listening to It's Radio. My father. Father! <laughs> it's radio with TV's Tim Stack. My name is Freddie Nash, medium detective. I work in a very niche market, solving ghost stories. The man driving is Mr. Yamasaki. He's my assistant, and he doesn't like mornings. Most people don't believe in ghosts, spirits, or poltergeists. So when they see one, they want answers. That's where I come in. That was from Half Dead Fred. Uh, starring my friend Corn Nemec, who's here, my guest on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. My old son from the show Parker Lewis. Can't lose. That job, boy, I just, I just, because at the time, it was what got me to Santa Barbara. I think I told you this when we worked on uh, Kirby Buckets, uh, which was very nice of him to come in. They were looking for another version of Kirby Buckets in a different dimension. And they've been needing somebody older. And I said, I think maybe Cornemic would do it. And they were like, really? I said, I'll find out. Anyway, uh, that was fun. That was great. But I, I, was, think, the, I, was, well, I was the older Kirby Buckets. It could have been better casting. And that's, you know, the reason why I love that show, Kirby Buckets, they were really nice people to work with. The hours were pretty good because they were all kids involved. So, you know, you got to get these kids shot out early. Uh, but also, when I met with the writers, the head writers, I said, this is Parker Lewis. This show is the closest thing I've seen to Parker Lewis since Parker Lewis. So I, I had a soft spot to it. But anyway, Parker Lewis got me to move to Santa Barbara. I said to my wife, because I was getting paid like series money, not big, huge series money, but series money. And I only worked one or two days a week. It was the best job. And I said to her, it's never going to be like this again. Like, it's never going to be this easy. <laughs> And this lucrative at the same time, we got to go right now. Like, let's go. And we unloaded the house in L.A. and moved to Santa Barbara with the kids. And, and once I got there, it's like, I don't know, somehow I've made it work. But anyway, uh, Corin Nemec, thank you so much again for being here. So let's quickly, quickly talk about Half Dead Fred. And then I want to get into uh, Venice High. So that movie, Half Dead Fred, also Jason London from Days and Confused. I, I take you guys are good buddies, right? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, me and Jason, Jason and I have known each other uh, since the early 90s. We, we had the same kind of social circles back then. You know, the, the, the film and TV world was so much smaller uh, at that time. And I can only imagine what it must have been like in, say, the, you know, the 40s and 50s, how much even smaller it must have yes. been then. The, mis the mystery and the, and the intrigue of it all is, is just gone. It's just... It's scattered to the winds in a thousand pieces now, but uh, but you know the the eighties and nineties still had a really great hangover of the classic Hollywood era, uh, the places, the hangouts, the haunts, and so uh, 
Uh, me and him were, were buddies, and I, I really brought I brought him on uh, because I was good friends with am good friends with Braun Theron, the the writer director of Half Dead Fred, uh-huh. and uh, he uh, he and I are friends really from the graffiti scene. Both of us have been graffiti artists since we were kids, and that's a been, uh, that's, that's a big part of the book big, Venice High, which we're going to talk about. Yes, that, yeah, yeah, the Venice High thing is a perfect segue into that because that's really how I got involved with Half Dead Fred. I'd done some other stuff with my buddy Braun, and our 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 primary kind of interests at first was just the fact that we both were graffiti heads. And then secondarily, we were both into film and television. So it, it became uh, of interest to both of us to try and get something off the ground together. Uh, we, we did a couple of like little pilot episodes for some graffiti type shows and things like that. And uh, and I came and did some work for him on a couple of small projects. He was getting off the ground. Uh, Heat of the Beat, a web series he was trying to do. I uh, they, they did and uh, went and did a part in that for him. And and so when this came up, uh, he was doing, a you know, his first online fundraiser and all of that and 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 i made a really really fair deal with him to come on board and and play the lead uh for for him in the film which really helped him to raise the amount of money that he needed to make it which if i think all in his budget was only somewhere between like maybe 40 and 60 grand or something like that i don't know because i didn't come i didn't I didn't stay on board as a producer for it. No, it was a total skeleton crew on this. Oh my God. That makes it even more inspiring. All the actors, the actors were all working just purely out of passion, doing modified low budget rates and all of that. And, and we even had a decent shooting schedule. I mean, you know, it was very tough. I mean, he got all free locations. Obviously, the city of Flint, Michigan was very welcoming. That was my and, uh, so there was So we didn't have to pay for anything in that respect, or they didn't have to pay for anything in that respect. And uh, uh, they, they got some great deals on on, on local B&Bs with people there that they knew through one of the producers that was local. And they got really fair shakes on on the rental for a crew from out of town and all of that. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what, what ultimately the, the final budget was, but I know that it was, it was well under a hundred thousand. Wow. Good for them. Good for you. Good for them. Yeah. And it turned out good. Yeah. And it's on TV and you can watch it. It's great. You made a movie. Yeah. 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 It's a great success for him. And I'm, I'm happy for him. He's working on another film now that I'm not a part of, but I'm, I'm hoping for great success for him on that as well. So uh, let's talk about your book, Venice High, which is available on Amazon. Although I think I looked last night, there's only one copy left. Um, I really enjoyed that book. I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons. Part of it was because you wrote it. My son wrote it. Um, <laughs> but part of it is it's very uh, nostalgic. I, th- I find it to be very nostalgic for a time in L.A., that, you know, you were sort of just talking about. It was sort of the end of the old and, you know, and, and graffiti art was part of that. So yeah. what was the inspiration for the book? I'm, I'm, I'm making things up. I should just, yeah, the, no, yeah. The inspiration for the book was my, was what my, my life experience. See, I lived a dual life growing up because I was a child actor, but in real life, I, I was, I, I was a graffiti artist and a tagger and a skateboarder. And, uh, and that's the kind of guys that I hung out with. So, uh, you know, in terms of actors that I hung out with when I was young, David Arquette and I were good friends and Balthazar Getty and I were good friends. And 
Uh, and, and like Seth Benzer, who's the lead singer from the band Crazy Town, Shifty, you know, from Crazy Town. And Yeshi Pearl, who's Mickey Avalon and uh, and Justin Warfield from She Wants Revenge, the lead singer. All of us were very, very close because we were all in into graffiti together. And, uh, and but we were also into the arts and entertainment world. And, and it was an interesting combination. But uh, but but for me, my, my my experience in high school was this one of like you know, living down in, in, in the valley and knowing all these girls at like Westlake School for Girls and, you know, Beverly Hills High and all this and me and all my like skate rat, you know, graffiti homies, like right. going to these bougie parties in Beverly Hills and, and getting in beef with the rich dudes there and right. stuff. And, uh, you know, and them not wanting us there because, you know, we got more swag than them, but just no money, you know. Uh, and I was making money at the time as an actor, but I didn't that wasn't my my thing. I, I you know I was happy acting because it made it made me feel good and it was my passion, but it wasn't my life. You right. know, which which probably if, if I had probably embraced more of the lifestyle of of, of being an actor, uh, my my career may have been a lot bigger than it than it has been. Uh, but no, I-, I just at a certain point. Uh, there's just a real, a real bad flavor in my mouth of what it is to have to go and, and promote yourself. No, you know? <laughs> I have to say, I don't remember you. Here's a couple of things I remember from that time was, and you were a kid, you were 20, maybe, I don't know, but I don't remember you like the Hollywood party scene was not going on. I remember you being much more into music. Um, I remember yeah. you had a car, you had speakers put in the back of the car that yeah, could, the Alfa Romeo. could blow up a country like this. These yeah. speakers, you know, you want to uh, torment the terrorists, just put them in, in Corin's car and blare some music. <laughs> but that's what I remember. I don't remember you like in the Hollywood scene. And I knew you were into graffiti art, but I didn't realize how much yeah. until Venice High. And and I'm yeah, sort of so intrigued so by great. that. In yeah, part because that, that, David that Arquette, was, that was the yeah. But was that that experience in high school? Yeah, and David Arquette, who's a friend, who was on Sun of the Beach, and he brought, he had a posse of taggers, and he brought them on for those episodes of Sun of the Beach that he did, and those guys were really funny. But they really sort of look back on that time in a romantic time. Now, from an outsider's point of view, they don't appreciate the graffiti art that. They see, a lot of people just see graffiti, and you guys, yeah. it there was an art to it, but there was also a sense of kind of danger and adventure. Correct? That well, that's what that that's what the that's where the addiction comes in. And there's there's a couple of things. There's two things that factored into it for me. I got into it because I was a break dancer when I was really young. And I had my breakdancing name, Kid Cruz, when I was like 10 years old. And I'd do little bubble letters that said Kid Cruz. And by the time I moved to L.A. when I was 11 going on 12, well, breakdancing was kind of out of fad by then. Nobody was really laying down cardboard on the street corners anymore. They were picking up skateboards and spray cans. And so when I when, when I moved from Atlanta to L.A., I was still into the graffiti part of it. Uh, and, and some kids that I was in school with were like, they were up, they were well known, uh, this guy vision and spy 1000 and, and their, and their style of graffiti art was next level. I, I, and I was like, I have to do that. So I, I started learning right away 
And when I when I went out, the adrenaline rush of going out and putting up some art somewhere or even catching your name, a tag or whatever on something, that adrenaline rush is one thing. But then the after effect is like when you're on like a bus or, uh, or an RTD with a friend or this, that, or you're in the backseat of your mom's car driving down the freeway or something. And you kind of look over and see your name up there on the wall and nobody knows. It's like, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It was like this, uh, this, this kind of secret club, uh, you know, type of, of mentality about it. A lot of the guys that I knew that were some of the more well-known artists, you would never really suspect them when you saw them in real life. Uh, uh, they, there was this guy in, in my graffiti crew, the chosen few named Rage. And he had this whole technique of dressing up like he was going to the disco when he'd go out tagging so that when he's walking down the street, he'd have like his spray can stuffed up inside of his like really nice sweater. Uh -huh. So you couldn't see it, but he'd like have, but he'd have running shoes on, but he'd have nice slacks on a nice shirt, a sweater, hair all slicked back. So that if the cop drive, I'd be like, Oh, that guy's up. He's definitely not up to anything. He's not, you know? So like our whole crew would like go out all dressed up all nice and stuff. We didn't come back dressed up very nice right. sometimes, but uh, Hey, um, have you thought about, this seems like just such a great world. Have you ever thought about turning, uh, is there a movie script for Venice High? Or, because what you're talking to me about right now, like kids from the Valley tagging, meeting girls at Westlake School, you know, and all the music back then, that sounds like a yeah. recipe for a fun movie. Yes, I, I you, either, either, well, it originally started out as, uh, I was developing it as a series. I even shot like a little, uh, I, I might even still be on YouTube years ago. I just, I, maybe in the early 2000s, I shot like just a, a little clip from, uh, from a pilot script that I, that I had developed and I, and I created an entire pitch deck for it, everything, all this stuff. And then, uh, and, and I just couldn't get, I, I, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I think you may know when you in Hollywood is kind of a closed door system. It's like, it's until you prove yourself outside of the box that you're in, no, a lot I of know. people don't Absolutely. really want to hear from you. Yeah. But that you know? seems like a really, really fun but, world. Well, so that's why I made, that's why I wrote the book. Cause I'm yes. like, I got it. I got I, I want to put the story out. I don't right. care how I, how, how I do it. You know, it's, it's a great story. It's, it's a romance. It's, it's, it's Romeo and Juliet, you know, in in the graffiti scene in L.A. in the nineties, yeah. and uh, I love and that I think stuff. that uh, that I think it would go over great as as either a feature or a series uh, uh, for sure. And and I ended up because I wrote the book, it, it ended up being read by uh, an agent at CAA who, who unfortunately had to leave there during the Me Too movement, you know, thing. Uh, uh, he got me too out of there, you know. Yeah, but uh, but and so did my project. <laughs> so it, it ended up getting picked up over at CAA and, and being developed over there. And I ended up developing a whole new pitch deck package for it. We were about to take it out, and then he got taken out. Uh, and uh, yeah. and so I was back to square one. Hollywood, but Hollywood. Uh, but still, I, I love I love the story. And, no, it's and great. It's really really it. great. You can find it on Amazon. It's under your real name, which is Joseph C. Nemec the Fourth. Experience. Yeah, that was probably a that was probably a dumb move on my part. I tried to go back and change it, but once it's published, you can't. Yeah. So uh, I have it. It says Coronemic on the actual cover itself, right. but listed under Joseph C. Nemec the Fourth. And then I also have on Lulu.com as well uh, under if you look up Coronemic, uh, I have a whole bunch of screenplays that I've published just for fun. 
uh, as well as three books of poetry. Okay, cool. uh, and uh, several books of, of, of photography. It's too. unbelievable. You are a very prolific child that I did <laughs> that I did not raise. Okay, we're going to take our final break. Uh, I'm talking to Corin Nemec. He's got so much stuff to promote, but check him out on Twitter. I'm Corin Nemec. Uh, I am Corin Nemec. Uh, you can check him out the on Instagram. I, the letter M. The letter I, the letter M. He's got Half Dead Fred's on Tubi. This movie, this Western, I, I just, I'm going to watch it tonight. Dead Man's Hands. I can't wait. Oh, you're um, he's got, anyway, he's just a very prolific guy and, and, and an old friend. And uh, we're going to talk to him some more right after this break. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. What time is it? Game time. 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 When the game began, I worked all summer to be a champion. At Venice High School, all we do is win. Man, it feels good to be a champion. song for Venice High School. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, that's what uh, I saw it on YouTube. It said Venice High, and I think that's like their football song, Venice High. So uh, we, you know, we were talking about the book, so I thought I'd play that. Uh, My goodness, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to play him uh, play against them. <laughs> Coming out to that, no. <laughs> um. So. Uh, again, I just love that. I love that world. I, I'm remembering a few things. I want to go back and talk about Parker Lewis a little bit. I was remembering that you were one of the first, a couple music things about that show. I don't think I really had heard, because I'm old, and I was old then too, uh, certainly old for that show. I had never really heard hip-hop music, or maybe I had, but I didn't really listen to it till you. You got into it really early, am I right? Well, like I said, I was I was break dancing when I was you know around nine ten years old in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, growing up there, so the 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 original advent of hip hop was part of my culture, right? Uh, growing up because of the break dancing, uh, they call it, it's it's in in um <coughs> excuse me in uh. The hip hop movement, it's called the five pillars of hip hop. And you try to as as a hip hop head, you try to represent all of all five pillars. It's the uh the rap style, the the clothing style, the DJing, the graffiti style, uh, and the dancing. And so uh the one thing I, I never really was able to really get get even close to mastering was the DJing. But I, you know, I had my clothing style hip hopped out. I, I could rap. I could freestyle rap. I could do the graffiti art and all that, you know. And, uh, and but so th- that was kind of like part of my whole culture for sure. And and it bled into to Parker Lewis the the style that uh, of clothing and everything came yes. out of that. You know, if you look at uh, at Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince or uh, uh, you know any of the any of the hip hop kind of like a. Um, uh, the Kid and Play, for instance, another good one. MC Hammer, another good one. Uh, you know that clothing style was Parker Lewis, right? You know, the, the the dress style pants with the with 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 the high top shoes, the the fancy shirts buttoned all the way up with with my with my high top fade. Yeah, my white boy cracker version of a of a high top fade, the Gumby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, but it was really, uh, you know, again, there was an artistic flair to that show 
that other shows didn't have. And part of it was your look. Absolutely. Was that hair and those clothes? And, and it's what attract part of what attracted people to it. Um, the other thing I remember musically from that show was Abe Ben Ruby, who played Kubiak on the show, the big guy, you know, six, yeah, six foot six. Still very close with him. Yes, I know you are. And um, I remember one day he's playing some music and I'm trying to like stay hip to, you know, I got two kids. I'm trying to stay hip to what young people are listening to. And, and he said, uh, Hey Tim, I, I got this band. I found this, this album came out. It's really, really good. You want to hear it? I said, yeah, sure. And he plays it and it was Nirvana. And yeah. I remember saying to myself, I'm, I'm being polite. And as I'm walking away, I say to myself, well, that's never going to work. <laughs> he must've played the first album. <laughs> no, it's just how unhip I am that I said to myself, oh. <laughs> I said the same well, thing. I don't know. I wasn't there for their very first album was more punk rock, you know, and not so much grunge. And I, I wasn't a big fan of their first album. This was the uh, one with the baby. Like butthole, the, butthole surfers, you know? Yeah. I actually like some of that stuff, but uh, um, I'm a big fan of the offspring. You still like the offspring at all? No, I'm not not that familiar, but I've heard the name. They're like a 90s band. They kind of remind me, like, if there was a soundtrack to Venice High, you would absolutely have The Offspring on that soundtrack. Um, but the, I was going to say the other time I said something really stupid, like Nirvana's never going to go anywhere, was I did an interview for Son of the Beach, I think, or maybe Nightstand. I, I went on uh, Bill O'Reilly's show on Fox, and the Fox Network had just started. And I finished the interview. He was, you know, he's a lunatic. He's not a bad guy, but a <laughs> lunatic. And I walk out on 6th Avenue and I look back at Fox News because they had just yeah. come on the air. And I looked up and I said, well, that's never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I man, am such a I, soothsayer. I, I, I hope you say that. I hope you say that about me after yeah, this there you uh, go. interview. Well, that kid's a, done. sure to blow up. Oh, man, that movie, that dead man's hand, that's going nowhere. A hundred million dollars. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to talk about Parker Lewis and, and get your take on was because you were a child actor. And I, I said, I asked you this in an email. Let's deal with this one first was, you know, when I was trying to be an actor, I had jobs as a waiter or, you know, whatever. And you sort of skipped that because you were a successful actor this whole time. Was there, like, if you hadn't done that, was there a job you would have done to make money to support your creative end? Well, mo both my parents were in the arts and entertainment business. My mom was a graphic designer in the music and theater business. Right. Uh, doing poster design and music poster design and, and at some album covers. She worked at Capitol Records for a while as well. And, uh, but, and my dad is a, is a production designer. Uh, was a set designer back in the day, you know, right. Joe, Joe Nemec III, who did T2, Patriot Games, Twister, The Saint, The Shadow, uh, The Abyss, was was a assistant art director on Goonies, was, uh, you know, on and on and on. Uh, so I, in all likelihood, I because I was into graffiti art anyway, I probably would have gone into some type of uh, of arts in that direction, yeah, it sounds like design, yeah. some type of design or something, whether it be advertising and or uh, maybe even my own type of 
you know, just sort of like how Obey did, you know, maybe even doing my own type of stuff in that yeah, direction. I, I didn't Which realize I did both parents were. While, but. I knew your dad was in. I didn't realize they were both so creative on the on the artistic side. I thought you. I knew your dad was in. He, you know, and he was you know an IATSE guy, but I didn't know he was so uh, creative. Good for them. Um, here's the other yeah. thing I wanted, uh, Parker Lewis, was because you're a child actor. One of the things I noticed when we all got together to do the DVD commentary, and a lot of you had not. Some of you, you stay in contact. Some of these guys you stay in contact with all the time, but a lot of people hadn't seen each other in ten years, maybe. And it was yeah. sort of like a child actor's version of a high school reunion. Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of strange to watch this. You know, I had been I went to normal high school and high school reunions and all that. But for you guys, you sort of grew up together on this show and it was it was interesting. It was like watching the high school reunion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the the best time I had, I was uh, I, I wasn't uh, in the best shape that I had. But one of my close friends, had, his birthday was literally was the night before we had to go down and do that whole thing. Yeah. And I, I, I had showed up a shell of my 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 former self the day before. But I pushed through it as as we must. You're a professional. But um, <laughs> but, but we actually did um, one of the big conventions, Paris Manga, which is a really big convention over in France. Um, if it hasn't been burned down yet, uh, but it's a really big show in France that I've done a number of times, and they did a Parker Lewis reunion over there, and they brought me. Uh, uh, well, I'll just give the character names. They brought Parker, Kubiak, uh, Mikey, Jerry, and Shelley. Yeah. Uh, so you know, they, and and we all went over there and just had. I think we were there for five, five or six days together, uh, uh, all so in the fun. same hotel and all of that, and just. I mean, it was a blast. It was a blast. And, and, and let me tell you something, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to, to sort of slide undercover, you know, when, when you're, when you're out and about traveling, uh, as an actor, even though I've done a lot of stuff, I'm, I, I, I'm still, you know, that cusp of like, most people think they went to high school with me or they knew me from college. Yeah, I, at I, know first, you know? I, I used to get but, it. I don't but, get it anymore, but I know that look. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that said, walking around with Kubiak, there was no hiding no from anybody. That's funny. And in France, it was hilarious. I mean, people were stopping us everywhere. Who be that? You know, that's funny. Uh, and we should mention that Troy Slayton, uh, who played Jerry on the show, is now a judge. Like he's a legitimate judge. I remember when yeah. I was went back then. He was maybe I don't know what he was fourteen years old or something. And if there were overtime questions, or like I would ask him. Like he knew. <laughs> everything about production i had two kids and i'm going to this 14 year old kid hey troy do we get overtime yeah. if it yeah yeah overtime you get eight hours if you're here and if you had an hour of uh, meal penalty and and he knew everything it was so funny well, of course no, yeah the only thing he didn't know was his freaking lines half the time <laughs> that's funny <laughs> Uh, we got to wrap things up this was really really great corin thanks so much always great to see you i hope we uh see each other in person you as well my friend um well i am gonna do that I, I am doing that 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 little uh that little surprise skit here that i'm working on i actually shot the first thing for it the other day for this little parker lewis gem that i'm 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 working on for people out there oh, great the one we talked about i'm gonna about. be hitting tim up for for something here okay great so it's gonna be fun it's great great fun. great i can't wait um so there's so much to promote go to twitter i'm corn Cor nemic go to instagram uh 
right now you can watch his movie Dead Man's Hand on video on demand. But Half Dead Fred is out there. Buy the book Venice High. Yep. Uh, and congratulations, you just got engaged. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Yes, I, I have the best babe ever. Sabrina is she, is she is my match made in heaven. That's great. That's great, man. Thank you so much. Been talking to Coronemic. Catch me next time. Uh, oh, let's thank Love Dr. Everybody. D, Richard Dugan, our producer, Jeremiah Higgins, our big time producer. And uh, we'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Tony Kelly.